So Matthew 5. As you turn there, you know, um, for me personally, this last week has been a little difficult in some ways. Just seeing the violence in the world um, has, has grieved my soul. And it's never easy. I mean, we know it's there. We know that it happens. But no matter how many times we're reminded of its existence, it really should bother the Christ follower. And, you know, we, we all have different opinions about some of the events that happened and whether or not people were justified or unjustified and all that. Really, we just kind of got to wait and for due process and all that and, and, and try, to, try to figure that out. But the attacks in Dallas, Dallas then, you know, just senseless and sinful. And, you know, this is terrible. My heart was really heavy all week long over the complexity of the issues at hand that face our country and, and the fighting and arguing and the violence. So as I struggled to make sense of all this this last week and spent some time thinking about this, one question really kept coming back to my mind, and, and that was this. It was, you know, can the average Christian really make a difference about this? I mean, sometimes the problems of this world seem so great and insurmountable that I look at myself and I think, you know, what, what can I do about this? Is there, is there anything that the average Christian, just a, just a guy who's, who's trying to, to follow Christ and, and stumbling along the path and, and trying to get to, to eternity, but can I have influence over these tremendous issues? I have to confess that often I kept going back to, no, there's really nothing I can do about it. It's easier just to kind of go on with life and, and move on. But I went back to my Bible, and that's always a good strategy. I'm going to put that out there. I went back to my Bible, and I started reading, and of course, my attention's been in Matthew uh, because of the sermon series we're in. And I was reminded that the answer to my question was found in the very text, in the very sermon series that we've been going through. And so we're going to read this again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who are before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Isn't that a great passage? It gives us so much hope and so much encouragement. And as I've been, as I've been looking at the, you know, these, these events of this last week, what I thought would be helpful for us today would just be to recap what we've talked about already and what we've, what we've seen the Scripture say and apply it to the, certain, the current events of this world. And understand that, that it is, it, the, the Scriptures teach us how that we can have an influence on a very, very violent world. Now, I've told you before that I like in my position as lead pastor here as to be like a player coach, okay? So I'm coaching the team on what to do, but I'm also going out with you to enter the game. And like you, I will make mistakes, mistakes and need correction. But I hope today's discussion will shed some light on how we can influence this violent world we live in. So first of all, very quickly, I'm going to try to move through this pretty quickly, is, and you can pray for me that I do that, um, is that we need to remember Jesus' description of the disciple here. And we're going to go through this. I'm just going to make a couple comments here, but we're going to try to make some application of how this, this matters because, because we've talked about this before of how that we need to be the disciple that Jesus has asked us to be in Matthew chapter 5. But when current events like this happen, how does that play out? First of all, he says that we need to be poor in spirit. And we've talked about how that, that has the idea of recognizing our spiritual bankruptcy. And so we need to understand that we have sin inside of us, and we need to understand that every person here, every person here has weaknesses that are going to contribute to the problems of this world, unless Jesus delivers us from those. So we need to understand that hatred towards others exists in this world, and it exists in our hearts. And for us to say that, that none of us ever struggle with hatred towards other people is simply not true. We, 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 we do. It's in our hearts. And so the poor in spirit person, the disciple, looks at a situation like this and says, what's going on in this world? And understands that there's a, there's a complex problem that plagues our nation, that's been plaguing our nation for a long time now, and yet, and we may not see it all the time, but it's there, and it's in our hearts. So we need to admit that. That's being part of poor in spirit, understanding that, that if Christ doesn't transform our hearts and helps us to see everybody as the image of God, whether it's their skin color or their occupation, there's hatred all over the place on this. On both sides, we understand that You've got to understand that we're poor in spirit and understand that God's going to deliver us from this. Our Kent Hughes said poverty of spirit is something we never outgrow. In fact, the more spiritually mature we become, the more prof- profound will be our sense of poverty. And so if we're going to make an influence in this world, we've got to, we, we, we've got to approach all these circumstances and situations that, we, that plague us in this world. We've got to approach in this understanding and saying that, yes, I, I need God to transform my heart. My heart, poor in spirit. He says to mourn there. He says, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And this is, how do we respond to things like this? Well, we we mourn the loss of life, no matter what the circumstances are. We mourn the loss of life. I remember when we had a situation right here in Madison, when there was a a police officer who who shot uh, and and killed uh, uh, um, 
a teenager, and of course, there was lots of racial tension with that situation. You guys remember it. The first thing, if you remember that next Sunday, I just pleaded with us is, we just need to mourn the loss of life. Now, as due process went, and it seemed like, according to the judicial system and everything, that the police officer was correct in that and great, and I have no reason to doubt that. But that's not the point of whether the police officer was correct or whether he wasn't correct or anything like that. The Christian, the disciple, first mourns the loss of life. And if we, if, if we can't do that, then we're not living out of discipleship. And I think sometimes we're afraid to mourn something because we don't want to take sides on something. And, and, and for the disciple, that's not our first goal. Our first goal isn't to draw a line in the sand and, make it, and, and, and choose a side on this. I've been talking with lots of people about this, and people have been helping me get perspectives about uh, uh, race and perspective about law enforcement, and it's been very enlightening. But I just mourn where we're at. I mourn that these, these things happen. We mourn the brokenness of this world, but the reason why is because Jesus deserves better than this. Jesus deserves better than for us to be hating and us to be uh, uh, ridiculing and us to be arguing past one another. And no matter what side of the issue, and I hope i got to keep coming back to that, I'm really trying, I'm not trying to, to make one side or the other. I'm trying to say as a disciple of Christ, our responsibility to influence this world isn't necessarily to enter into the argument and start making cases. It's, it's, it's for us to show that what do, we, what do we value the most and what does God value Values human life and dignity. So we mourn that. Philippians 3.18 says, Paul said, he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross. And so when they saw people who were disobedient, when, he, when Paul saw people who were enemies of the cross, it brought him to tears. And a lot of times, what happens is that to, to, to prove our side of the argument, whatever it is that we're doing, is that, is that we, we want to almost demonize the other side. And both sides do this all the time. Why can't we be more like Paul? And I think we should be, and that's a disciple, that even if someone is an enemy of the cross, we speak of them and we pray for them with tears. Because we're mourning what they need. They need Jesus. So I think in times of violence in our country, our first thought should be to, to mourn that this world is so broken. We mourn over our own sinfulness. Romans seven twenty four, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? He also says, blessed are the meek. And how does this apply to, as we're trying to parse out this world events? D.A. Carson defined meekness this way. He said it was a controlled desire to see the other's interest advance ahead of one's own. We live in a terrible world, and we need to influence it, and so that means we need to respond to situations differently than our coworkers who do not know Jesus Christ. That means we have a meek spirit. So we need to have enough humility that we don't fully understand one another's experience or perspective, but we should try. And that's why it was so enlightening to me to have people from all over and different, different sides of the issue and different perspectives to share with me what they go through on a daily basis. I don't pretend to have it all figured out, but I know this, it causes me to be a little bit more humble, a little bit more like, wait a minute, I don't know all of what's happening I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. And we, ha- we need to have enough humility to admit that complex problems, they have complex solutions. So let's not be simplistic in the way we approach these things. 
Cliched phrases should not represent the totality of our thinking on a subject. And Jesus says the meek inherit the earth. And what type of earth is that? It's not the earth, the cursed earth that we have right now. It's, it's the curse-free version. I'm looking forward to that. So we approach things with meekness and humility. He says, blessed are the hunger, those who hungry are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We should long for God's righteousness to be exalted in every corner of this earth. To stand for righteousness implicitly means that we stand against unrighteousness. So we shouldn't be silent when we see that. Too many times we're afraid because of all the emotions that are charged and some of these things that we deal with every day. But a pursuit of righteousness leads to a humble honesty about the facts. We need to do what we can to break down walls of tension in our world. This has been going on from the beginning. This is nothing new. I appreciated uh, some of the testimonies I heard. Is that God's sovereign. He's in control. He's, and that's so right. In times like this, when I am tempted, I, I'm being completely transparent with you. I'm just tempted to be in despair and say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. How can it get any worse? What is going on? I'm reminded by testimonies like you guys shared today that, no, God's in control. It's okay. We don't have to despair. So thank you for sharing your testimonies. It was encouraging to my soul today. The disciple who's going to be an influence in this violent world needs a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness means doing the right thing for the right reason. And so when we speak truth for the right reason, it tempers our tone. Love comes into that, not just trying to win the debate. But when we speak truth for the wrong reason, because we can speak truth, but for the wrong reason, we often make the problem worse. So hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says, blessed are the merciful. We need to show mercy in how we deal with this. And listen, we all read things, we all hear things, we all, we all read people, what people are saying, and we all hear what people are saying about some of these issues, and we think, that is just plain stupid. We, all, we have to admit that. We see things. People use rhetoric on all over this, back and forth. But the merciful person doesn't answer rhetoric with rhetoric. They understand that maybe they're saying something that's completely wrong and, just, and, and, and not even remotely close to the truth. But in these moments of anger in our country and in these conversations that we have with other people in the workplace or whatever like that, it's time for mercy. You need to be merciful towards people when they're dealing with the raw emotions of the situation. When people are angry, all rational thinking goes out the window. I think we need to recognize that and be patient with people. There's some principles in communication that if you're going to communicate, there's encoding and decoding. Right now, I'm encoding a message, and hopefully you're decoding the message. Now, I'm using certain things to try to communicate my message today. I'm, I'm speaking to you. I'm not writing to you. I'm standing up. I'm not sitting. Um, you know, there's all sorts of choices uh, of the tone that I'm speaking with and, 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 and what I'm trying to communicate and all these things and words I'm avoiding and words that I'm choosing, all these type of things that goes into the encoding process. Now you, as you're listening, there's a decoding process, and, and you're trying to figure out, what do you know of me, and, and what have you heard of me say before about the same subject, or, or, or what do you know about me, and all that goes into this, and we don't even think about this, but this is how communication works, is there's this encoding and decoding that's happening back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
But there's often the problems that they get in the middle between the transmission and the, and, the, and the receiving of the message. There's often something that happens in the middle that kind of messes it up. And so maybe you, you don't know, uh, or maybe I, I chose the wrong word in, in what I'm trying to say. And so to you, that word means something else than what I meant it. Well, then there's the communication breakdown right there. And so there's all sorts of these things that we've got to navigate as we're trying to talk and we're trying to be and, and communicate here. We're trying to get around obstacles. But one of the biggest obstacles to a communication process is anger. Anger clouds the process. All of a sudden, if I'm angry, then I'm not going to be as thoughtful about my encoding message, right? I'm going to start saying things, and, it, and the filter goes away. Have you ever said something out of anger that you just never would say in any other circumstance? We've all done that. The reason why is because anger causes us to say things without a filter. And also, anger causes us to interpret things wrongly or decode the message wrongly. So, for instance, if I'm angry at you and you're trying to talk to me, if my wife, if I'm angry with my wife, and the first thing she says to me when I come home, she says, I love you. What's the first thing that, what's my heart going to be like? My heart is not necessarily going to be like, Oh, sweetie, that's great. No, I am going to take her words, and I'm going to use my anger, and I'm going to color her words, and I'm going to make it so that I interpret what she's saying. It's like, well, what are you trying to hide? Or what are you trying to prove? I'm just saying I love you. No, there's something more. There must be. What is it? My anger is clouding that. So the point I'm trying to make is this, is in times of violent hostility in our country, when these conversations are going around, we need to understand the disciple of Christ needs to rise above that and understand anger clouds all this. So what we need to do is we need to be merciful. And say, I understand your anger right now. And so I understand the filter is gone, and so I'm not going to hold you to everything. Now, in this moment... Let me tell you, one of the things I've tried to do is move any of these type of conversations offline. Because online conversations like this are very difficult to keep being a good disciple of Christ. Ask to talk to people face to face. That happened this week. I put a thing on Facebook as I'm wrestling through some of these things. And somebody with a unique perspective on the circumstance picked up the phone and called me. And it was a wonderful conversation. We had a great conversation. And, and then we saw each other later on. We picked up the conversation again. More insights were shared. Better perspective was gained. And at the end of the conversation, we hugged each other. It was good. Because there was mercy shown on both sides. Willing to talk. The mercy is seen when putting up with people's weaknesses for the greater good. And so it's not natural for us to be merciful. And that's why Jesus is describing the Christian here as counterculture. So if we're gonna if we're gonna influence this world, we've got to be the disciple that Jesus talks about. Mercy. We lead with mercy. We've been shown great mercy. Let's lead with it instead of trying to win the point. And I've been guilty of that too. I mean, I'm telling you, player coach here, okay? This is not me speaking down and saying, here's all what you gotta do, and I've got this figured out. This is how we need to be an influence in this culture. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, he says there. This is a love for God that is the filter of all of our lives, including our view of people. And so the way we view people needs to be filtered through our love for God. And we look at people the way God sees them. And this includes our responses on social media and in other forms. 
A love for God should check the anger and frustration in our hearts. As speaking of who this pure and heart person was, D.A. Carson, again, he said that his present efforts are consistent with his future hope. His present efforts, what he's trying to do, what his, his actions of life are, is consistent with his future hope. And so if our future hope is peace and harmony and unity around the throne of Christ, then shouldn't that be the, our present efforts as well? That leads right us into blessed are the peacemaker. The peacemaker is someone who actively seeks to create and maintain a community of peace. And the reason why is because they've been transformed by God's grace. And so being a peacemaker is a distinguishing mark of someone who has been transformed by grace. And so if you've been transformed by grace, then peacemaking should be in our daily list of goals that we're trying to do. So the way we dialogue about these very complex issues, does it lend towards peacemaking or does it lend towards stirring the pot? This is where that rhetoric language comes in. These simplistic answers back and forth and statements. We need to check everything we're saying with, could this fall under the category of peacemaking? Now, this doesn't mean we have to agree to something that we don't truly agree with. We can disagree. Disagreeing does not mean there has to be conflict. You can have a difference of opinion. You can see something differently, and we will. We absolutely will. That doesn't mean there has to be anger and conflict. We can be peacemakers and still disagree. And then he says to persecuted. And we live in a day where to be a Christ follower is largely understood to be narrow-minded, bigoted, and hateful. But we stand for righteousness. We don't stand for popularity. And sadly, this often means inside the church as well. And so if you try to talk about some complex issue sometimes, people get upset because maybe they're misunderstanding what you're trying to say because maybe, maybe you're not saying it correctly or whatever the case may be. But this is where we got to strive for peace and mercy with one another. So this is how Jesus, he talked about the disciple. But in the last two minutes here today, I just want to remind us that he says that we need to be what we are, salt and light. The question that I raised in the beginning was, how can we be an influence in a violent world? And here's the answer. Be salt. Be light. This is what he's called you and I to be. And in order for us to, to be salt, there has to be contact. Remember, we talked about that when we went through this passage. And so, so there has to be contact with, with, with when we're trying to figure out these, these issues and how to influence our culture and how to influence our world and our families here. There has to be contact and we have to, we have to talk. Now, we have to be honest that we tend to only want to talk to people who already agree with us. But we need to try to understand where other perspectives are coming from. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but it may make them a little more human to you. We tend to characterize opposing views by the extreme examples we read about or see on TV or on the Internet. But let me tell you from personal experience, when you get and you talk with people from both sides or all sides of these issues, when you talk with them, all of a sudden you start seeing them as humans. And you start seeing that that maybe they have faulty thinking and you don't have to agree with them, but you understand, okay, this is how they came to the conclusion. One of my favorite favorite questions to ask someone, if 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 they're on a side of an issue that I'm completely against or I think is completely wrong, one of my favorite questions to ask someone is to sincerely ask them, can you tell me how you came to that conclusion? There's always a story. Now, that may not mean that they're right, but it makes the dialogue that much easier. 
And isn't that what Christians should be about? Loving conversation, not cutting people off. And so, these shootings that have taken place, they are ripe opportunities to talk to people about the true root problem, and that's man's heart. It's not a matter of more or less laws about guns. It's not a matter about whether or not police should have more or less supervision and all that stuff, and those are debates for other times. No, the point is that these, it all goes back to man's heart needs to be transformed by Jesus. I put this in Facebook that Jesus said that if we were to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we love our neighbors ourselves, Jesus said we wouldn't need any other laws because we would live as a disciple of Christ. So that's the answer to our question. If we want to be an influence in our families, in our community, in our world, then we need to be salt and light. Basically, be the disciple that God has asked us to be. We're obvious, we're not obnoxious. So Jesus said that this is how we influence the world. We love God, we love people, and we seek to serve the world. This is how we do it. And so, you know, there's lots of complexities about these issues, and I'm studying and reading, and, and if you're interested in these issues I would love, that are plaguing our nation right now, I would love to talk with you about it and love to get your perspective on it. So if you want to influence this world, be the disciple that God has called us to be. Amen? Father, thank you that we could spend this time looking at this text, and I pray that it would be helpful to us. You know, these... We live in a world of extraordinarily complex, deep problems. There's sin, there's, there's tragedy, and as we struggle to have a biblical response, Father, I pray that we would not overthink it. And I'm so guilty of that. I pray that we would just go back to Matthew 5 and say, I'm going to live out my discipleship of what you've called me to be. And implicitly with that, I will affect change. Because that's why we're here. You told us to let our light so shine before men so they may see it and give glory to you. And we long for you to receive glory. And we know, we know that this week there were so many situations where you did not receive glory. But I pray, I pray for us as believers, that we would live out our discipleship and bring you great glory. Father, I confess that these problems seem way above our pay grade and our experience. But as we were reminded during the testimony time, you are a sovereign God and there is nothing outside of your control. And you're a good God, and for that we praise you. And we have great hope. We do not hang our heads in despair. In fact, we lift our heads and our hands to you, and we praise you knowing that you are a good and gracious God, and that we have nothing to fear, and we just need to follow you. So I pray that that's what we would do today. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I think we're going to have a couple more songs, and then we will transition to our lunch and picnic time. And as Mike's getting his guitar ready, after we're done...